Welcome to Technology Forward, where we explore trends and developments in the additive manufacturing industry. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to this edition of Technology Forward. I'm Leslie Langnaw, your host. Today, we'll take a look at generative design with 3D printing and metal materials. I'm here with Felipe Castaneda, Creative Director at Microbot. Felipe has extensive knowledge of 3D printing technologies, digital prototyping, and emerging trends in 3D design and material science. He is MakerBot's lead researcher studying the relationship between designers and their tools. So thank you for joining me today, Felipe. Thank you for having me, Lucy. It's great to be here. So let's begin with what are the factors that a designer should consider when creating an object using generative design for 3D printing application? Well, I guess I would start by saying you need to understand the problem at hand very well. The idea of generative design is to be able to get as many answers from the computer as possible, kind of to expand the possibilities of what your your design will look like. But in order to do that, you first need to really have a good grasp of what the problem is, you know, what's the question that you're trying to answer so that you can in turn translate that question to the, to the computer. So then as the computer is delivering multiple designs for you to choose from, that gives you just more grounding in figuring out which one will be appropriate. So you're doing that first before figuring out how you're going to make it. Exactly. Yeah. Ultimately and gladly, computers are still not as smart as we are, right? They are not able to create the questions themselves. We still have to make them and state those questions. So it's kind of like uh, you will be getting an answer, but if you don't phrase the problem appropriately, the answers might not be even relevant, right? So it's kind of a good challenge for you to have where you might have infinite uh, processing computing power, but you need to be able to first frame that, uh, you know, whatever it is a problem at hand, whether you're creating a tool, you're creating a, a specific design, what is it that you're looking for in order for the computer to improve on? Are you trying to um, enhance its uh, structural properties? Are you trying to enhance the way that it will be made um, and so on? So different problems will come up with different solutions. And in that lies kind of the value of the designer to translate that problem to, into something that the algorithm can react to. Okay, so now let's move over a little bit into metals. There's a lot going on, especially like with stainless steel metals and stuff. So what are the benefits of using some kind of stainless steel? I guess one of the more popular ones is 316L in a 3D printed design. Well, specifically, it's the ability to create very robust and uh, sturdy parts that are not, you know, it's challenging some of the manufacturing methods because simply there's certain geometries that you would not be able to generate in any other way with you know stainless steel than 3D printing. And now that we have it, being able to create some of these complex geometries sort of enables you as an engineer or as a designer to challenge a little bit ultimately the shapes and the, the form factors that you get out and you're that you're able to produce. Specifically, this material is about, in some cases, 20, 50 times as strong as our next you know, strongest composite or polymer. So its physical properties are rather remarkable. So what are some of the geometries that you can't make other than with 316L stainless steel? I would say, you know, I've been using it for 
quite a, a range of applications starting from, let me get some of the parts here. I know that we are in a podcast, but I'll try to describe them to you. Uh, so essentially creating grippers. Uh, in this case, we are working on uh, developing a, what essentially is a, a robotic gripper. It's going to be actuated by a NEMA 17 motor, so pretty standard stepper motor. And this is, you know, what I'm holding is a, a claw of sorts. And the tips of that claw are made of, of the 316L material. Now, those tips are going to be the element of the whole assembly that's going to be subject to the most wear and tear, right? Because that's the element that we'll be interfacing with whatever it is that this gripper will be holding. And that's why we chose to use metal in this case, right? And the reason why we used you know, 3D printing as opposed to any other machining method is that we have some concave geometries that would not be able to be manufactured in any other way, you know, say uh, machining or grinding, any, any other processing uh, or manufacturing process for steel would not be possible outside of 3D printing. So you can see there's a little pattern inside of the tips ah. of the claw. And okay. that pattern, so that's where both, you know, our conversation starts to, to intersect where we have the generative element here in the pattern that's created inside of those concave elements and the, the material itself, the 316L that allows us to have a much stronger part in this, you know, only in the section that will be subject to the most wear. The rest of the assembly is made out of nylon 12 carbon fiber, also 3D printed, but that, you know, we are more focused on uh, the lightweight side of things. So we are sort of applying the material where it's most valuable, right? In this case, the part, the section of the part that has the most wear and tear will be having that you know, stronger uh, material applied to it. Okay, so what I saw in there is, is it's almost a case if you can get greater detail now, both created from a generative design program and into the geometric shape than you could have otherwise trying to do it with traditional machining methods. That's not something that would have been able to do either cost effectively or time efficiently. Exactly, exactly. So uh, it's just you know a matter of expanding the options that you have with a material that's already there, right? So there might be other uh, ways to use stainless steel and specifically 316L, it's kind of a commonplace alloy. Well, it's an alloy, but uh, it's I'm a seeing material. it everywhere. But yeah, exactly. Especially like we've seen it in, in medical applications and, and some other devices. However, being able to process it in such a way that delivers fairly complex parts, I'll have another good example here. It's basically just a lattice. This is more of a proof of concept of what could be done and, you know, the kind of pushing the requirements of the, the process itself, the 3D printing plus sintering process later on. These types of geometries are not something that you would be able to create following any other traditional manufacturing method. And that's where the you know mix of 3D printing with 316L makes it a rather handy tool to have it at your disposal. Now I'm seeing a lot of software programs coming out for lattice designs. Are lattice shapes their geometries? Is that something that you can also create in a generative design program? There's multiple approaches to what we would call a generative design. Like most you know, traditionally, it's been more about the, the geometries. It's sort of super complex uh, output, but there's also, uh, you know, places where the, the generative design will be focused not on creating something very complex, but rather giving you a, a lot of options. Let's say if I have a wrench like uh, this one that I'm holding right now, this is also printed in using a mix of carbon fiber and 316L. I could be asking the, the program to generate, say, multiple lengths of the wrench or multiple sizes for the uh, interfacing bolt. 
in the range different patterns here to be followed and to be created so that it has a different grip uh, against the user's hand. So it varies a lot. And specifically what, I'm, what I've been using the most uh, throughout my career, it's been a combination of Rhino and Grasshopper. Those are definitely a little bit more focused on the aesthetic qualities of the output. However, you see more and more software like Fusion 360, software like uh, even mm-hmm. Anthropology that are definitely much more focused on the engineering side of things and then creating more variations on the, yeah, let's call it more technical characteristics of, of, of a design, right? Uh, as opposed okay. to the, the aesthetic ones. So now let's go back to the stainless steel material. What are some of the limitations in using 316L for 3D printed design? Yeah, I think it's important to understand that the, the material itself, well, let's start with some of the very technical clear-cut limitations. It's going to be, first of all, limited by the size of the parts that you can create. Specifically, you will be bounded by a 100 by 100 by 100 millimeter box. That's about four inches cubed. The reason that's for that- your, That's with the method printer? That's with the method printer, but the the limitation comes not from the printer, but rather from the sintering process itself. Uh When you send your part out, and that's something to understand, right? That there is a a specific additional steps to be taken after the part has been printed out in your machine. So you'll print your part as usual using the same uh, method printer that you would for other materials. However, once you get the part out of the printer, you'll get what we call a green part. Mm-hmm. The green part has this kind of like clay-like uh, feel to it. It's rather dense, but that's not the final you know, shape of the part or the final expression of the part. You will have to sinter this part out. Uh, well, first debind it and then sinter it in a special facility that will essentially heat up the part to about 1400 degrees Celsius. And then that process is what ultimately literally like sinters the part and creates the stainless steel part that you will be using later on. So the two other uh, steps that come after the printing process are something that you would not be able to do in, you know, in any easy way, uh, even in a small medium shop, just because of the fact that those sintering ovens are rather expensive. Like we're talking about uh, upwards of $50,000 just for the oven. So what we're doing here is allowing the users to be able to print the part themselves, which already saves a lot of time and work, uh, t- time and money, sorry. And then once the, you know, they have the green part, they just send it out to the, manufa- uh, to the processing facility. The facility heats up the part and returns a fully you know, solid stainless steel part to the user. Yeah, the sintering solidifies the properties of exactly. the powder material. This is not a powder material. The material actually comes in a spool. So uh, right now we're working filament? with a, it's a filament. Yep. Okay. Um, I, I think that uh, there's, you know, people might be familiar with other sort of composite mixes of yeah. metal and polymers or some sort of substrate that keeps the metal together. However, this filament is much more richer in the metal itself, right? You usually would see you know, like older filaments would have a mix of 30% of the metal and 70% of the plastic, the binding agent that keeps mm-hmm. it all together while it prints. Uh, this material is closer to like an 80-20. So it's going to be a lot of metal in there. And that's why the parts are rather dense. Now, as I said before, and going back kind of to the requirements, right? Once you send out the part, because it's going to be 
you know, removing that excess 20% binding agent, the part will reduce in size, right? right? So it'll shrink a little bit and it's going to shrink unevenly. It's going to shrink about uh, 20% on the X and Y axis and 26% on the Z axis. So the height wise, it's going to shrink a little bit more. That's just due to the weight of the part itself, right? If you can imagine okay. like how dense these parts are, the sheer weight of them on themselves as they center will shrink them a little bit more vertically than you know horizontally and in that sort of floor plane. That's interesting because some of the 316L stainless I've seen is more in a powder form. So it, it's available as both filament and powder and with different amounts of the actual metal material in both of them. Yeah, I mean, the powder material is definitely interesting, but it can be challenging just because it does require a dedicated setup. Uh, it does require a few additional steps and making sure that powder is kept clean. Whereas the filament based one, it's kind of like, it's better for a user who will want to jump back and forth between materials, right? So for example, me sure. right here in my setup, I can print, uh, you know, in the morning, I can be printing uh, nylon carbon fiber. And in the afternoon, I'll just swap back to the 360 nail without yeah. having to change the setup, without having to do anything other than remove my spool, load the new spool, change the extruder. That's pretty much it. With the powder base, you really, really want to keep things very tidy and sort of dedicated to the one material. Uh, and that's kind of the machine. <laughs> exactly. That's one of the, the things that we really like about uh, the method platform is that, in fact, you're able to jump back and forth and have that freedom without sacrificing any of the you know performance aspects of the materials. So, so is it kind a, of flexible? Sort of. I would describe yeah. it more like clay. Uh, so it's it's not okay. brittle. It's not brittle, but it's definitely uh, has some sort of clay quality to it. Uh, okay. It's, it's, it will not bend. Uh, you know, if you, if you flex it uh, enough, it snaps. But it's and a it's continuous. Really heavy. But it's continuous on the spool, right? Exactly. Yep. Okay. Because yeah. I know there are some printers where you have rods. No, this is I like need. a continuous spool. And it's, but essentially, it's uh, the it same sort of presentation that, that you would have in other spooled filaments and um, the material itself it is uh, fairly flexible but with enough of a tight radius i'll be just snapping the, the material off like so right it's really dense uh, so what you would you know normally uh, spool this size would probably be about one kilograms maybe one and a half this is three kilograms for 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 the whole spool uh, so about six pounds it's much denser than your average um, polymer or composite filament. But yeah, it's, you know, the beauty of it and of this presentation is precisely what I was saying before, being able to just load it the same way that you would and interact with it the same that you would. If I had, a uh, say, any sort of bag of uh, powder-based 316L, I would not be able to just, you know, bring it to the camera <laughs> and move it around. I would already have a mess over here. But having it, you know, like just, in the spool format makes it so much easier to use and uh, yeah essentially frees you to use it and play a little bit more with the material itself so what effect do you think the ability to have all these uh stainless steel variations of powder what effect do you think that's going to have on the 3d printing industry where do you see that taking the industry I think that it's more, you know, the, the, the presentations will allow for more users to have access to the material and in that enable more, uh, you know, going kind of to the beginning of our conversation, uh, enable people to come up with 
better solutions, more interesting solutions, and ultimately expand the size of the market, right? Because if you think if you think about powder-based printing as something that's fairly niche and kind of unaccessible for most users, by having the filament now available for desktop printers like the method and you know being able to just add that to the tool set of any, you know, average is not the right word, but any sort of standard engineer that doesn't have access to this massive facility for, uh, you know, uh, with the sintering oven, with a powder uh, processing printer, you're essentially freeing up all of these users that now have access to the, to the, to the material, to the machines, and are able to come up with much more possible applications for it, right? So ultimately it's about that. It's about growing the size of the market, growing the size of the, the amount of people that can use the material and can sort of ask interesting questions uh, to it and get relevant answers with it. The more, the easier it, it becomes to, to, to use the material, the more flexible sort of it becomes in creating solutions, right? Uh, and especially with metals rather than just sticking with polymers. Yeah, I think that it's it's kind of a, an interesting balance there because there's some, like going back to this uh, gripper example, right? It's all about finding the right application for, for each of the materials. And I think that uh, one of the, if, if we go back 10 years when people first started talking about 3D printing and, you know, we assumed, we all assumed, oh, of course, your cell phone is going to be 3D printed. And it's, the thing is, most objects are not just made out of, uh, the one material, right? I right. don't see uh, everything all of a sudden becomes stainless steel or 360 nail or everything becomes ABS or whatever. So it, it sort of becomes relevant where it needs to, right? In this case, in this, this, this gripper example, it's only applied where the material is relevant, where I will be extracting the most out of the material. If this whole gripper, going back to the density properties of the material and the shear weight of it, if I was to print this whole assembly out of stainless steel, which is definitely possible, these would probably end up weighing a good, you know, three, five pounds for a gripper that's about the size of my hand, right? So that might be just too much for any robot to carry around. Exactly. However, if I can diminish the weight on the, you know, less structural uh, parts of the, of the assembly of this gripper and use, in this case, uh, the carbon fiber composite, and just get those tips out of uh, metal, then I'm getting like kind of the, both, the best of both worlds, right? I'm getting uh, the sturdy, the rigidity of the, of the metal uh, on the tips themselves and the lightweight component and the stiffness of the carbon fiber on the rest of it. Well, those were the questions I had, Felipe. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure for sure. 